Well, good morning, River Glen. Thank you so much for that warm welcome, and thank you, Ben. It is such a privilege to get to be here uh, back at River Glen. I've known Ben and Marnie for um, probably seven, eight years now, and several of you at River Glen over the years when times I've visited here, and it is just uh, such a blessing and a privilege to be with you in such a critical season um, at River Glen and in week three of this Unfinished series. So thank you for warmly welcoming a woman preacher this morning, and uh, so, uh, that's just something that means um, I know a lot uh, to me as I come up on an unfamiliar stage, so thank you. Well, uh, as we begin this sermon today, uh, for many of you that may not have been with us in week one or week two, we are in week three of this series called Unfinished, and this whole series is really birthed out of the fact that we are ever unfinished in Christ until the day he comes, and so I want to read to you a key passage that part of this initiative has been birthed out of as Ben and the leaders of this church have been praying uh, for months, even prior to this series, so if you have your Bible or if you want to watch on the screen uh, to follow along, I'm going to be reading out of Philippians chapter 1. So this is when Paul was speaking to one of the early churches at Philippi. And in the very beginning of his letter, he is thanking them, but also encouraging them uh, assumptively of kind of what he's hoping that they will do. Beginning in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, Paul says, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus. And then he closes with this. He said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Amen. See, God is not finished with River Glen, and God is not finished with us as individuals. And Paul reminds us of this in many of his letters to these early churches. If you are just joining us or need a brief recap for what Unfinished is, you'll find it here on the screen. And Unfinished is really about three different areas of River Glen. The first is the fact that we are an unfinished people. And that we want everything that we do around here to make more and better followers of Jesus to continue to flourish. And so we are calling that unfinished people because God's work is never done, even within the walls of this campus. The second part of unfinished is unfinished church. What I appreciate about River Glen is that River Glen is never content just doing the status quo, never wanting to rest on your laurels. And so Unfinished Church is about launching both an online campus as well as another physical location 15 to 30 minutes from this location to reach more and make more and better followers of Jesus. And the third part of Unfinished is Unfinished Mission. River Glen is not just about reaching locally, but also reaching nationally and globally. And so Unfinished Mission is about planting five more churches by the year 2020. 
one of which will be led a year from now in Pittsburgh by our own Brandon and Danielle Stevenson. And so over these next two years as we go on this unfinished journey, we are seeking to be radically generous disciples, ones that are recognized that God is not only not finished yet with this mission, but he's not yet finished purifying us and making us all into who he wants us to be. I want to reiterate something that Ben mentioned earlier, and you'll see it on the screen. Tonight is such an important night in this unfinished journey. I'm going to have the privilege to be with you tonight as well. Ben will be speaking, uh, but it is going to be an incredible night of worship, of prayer, and of commitment as we lead out on this unfinished journey before the rest of the church. So if you're a leader or a volunteer at River Glen, or if you're someone who's ready to lead out with your commitment, would you join us tonight at 7? It's going to be one of those moments that people are saying you should have been there. So please join us. Well, before we get started, I want to share with you a, a story that will not only give you a window into some of my shortcomings, but will also, more importantly, be a foundation for this message today. It was about 12 or 13 years ago when I was a sophomore in college at Wheaton College, just a couple hours down the road from here. And I was dating a young gentleman at the time, and he had invited me over to his family's house for dinner for the first time. Now, some of you who remember the first time you met the in-laws or the first time that you met the family of someone that you were dating, you're a little nervous. And especially if they cook a meal, you know that you not only need to consume everything that they give you on your plate, but that you also need to possibly ask for seconds, letting the mother or the father know how much you enjoyed the meal. Well, most meals are prepared in one of two ways. Either family style, where there are pots of food on the table and you get to choose your own portions, or buffet style where you go on the kitchen counter and you still get to choose your own portions. For whatever reason, and possibly because this was an eight-member family and she was trying to ration her portions, my plate was already pre-portioned for me. When I sat down, there was a chicken breast, there was a bowl of green beans, there was a bowl of baked beans, there was some salad, there was a dinner roll, I think there was asparagus. And I'll admit to you, I do appreciate vegetables, but I appreciate carbs and desserts a little bit more, I will confess. And so I don't eat a lot of meat, I don't eat a lot of uh, vegetables, it's just a shortcoming, one of many of mine. And so I see all of this food here, and I know there's another thing, I don't like baked beans. I'm from the South. But for whatever reason, I don't even like those. So I know I've got to start there. So I'm working on the baked beans. I go over to the chicken breast. I go over here to the green beans. And I go back to these baked beans. And I'm almost done. There's only a couple of beans left. And I look across at his father, who's a big, intimidating attorney in town. He's kind of gruff. No offense to any attorneys in the Waukesha area. But he's just kind of, sometimes you can be intimidating. And he looks across at me and he says, were you going to leave any for us? So apparently, that bowl of baked beans was supposed to be for the entire eight-member family, for whatever reason. I will tell you this. <clears throat> it was an interesting night on a couple of levels, and we'll just leave it right there. <clears throat> I share that story with you. Not only is it 100% uh, true, um, but it also illustrates a point I'd like to make as we begin our message today. That night, I was so focused on my own place setting, 
so focused that I did not look out one time at anyone else's place setting. If I had, I, had I would have noticed no one else had a massive bowl of baked beans to the right of their plate. But I didn't. I was so focused on my own sphere that I didn't even look at anyone else's. I want to say something about this topic of generosity as we've been in this unfinished series and as we continue in on it. Sometimes it's kind of like money, it's kind of like politics and religion, isn't it? You don't talk about it at a party. Sometimes when you're sitting in church, it kind of makes your stomach tie up a little bit to talk about giving. Well, what I believe about giving and what the scriptures even say about giving is it's a very communal thing. And that if we allow ourselves, if we allow our place setting to be seen by others and to be seen by God, he wants to ever finish us in him. He doesn't want us to just stay private about that. He doesn't want us to not share our story. And he doesn't want us to not be impacted by other people's stories. See, that's what this unfinished initiative is all about. That we don't have everything figured out as Christ followers. Not in the area of giving and not in the area of anything else. But that we're humble enough to say, God... Please look at my place setting. I want to share with other people about my place setting. I want to see other people and what they're doing in their lives and that God would allow this to be a subject that we can have an open table on. So today as I pray for our message, I want you to bring to this topic that type of humble, open table spirit to see what God might do um, through his word today. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so thankful that your word speaks to us in new and fresh ways. And God, I just pray that this morning, that each person, myself included, will gain a new insight from what your word says to us today, God. And I thank you that your word is true and that you are a God of grace, that we don't have to have everything all figured out. And God, even when we do, you reveal to us that you have more to grow us in. And so God, could we approach this, this message, your word, with just this acknowledgement of grace and this open table. God, these open hands to receive from you. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, if you were here, Ben talked about uh, the character of Abraham in the Old Testament and how Abraham trusted God e even above all odds. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his, his own son, the son that he'd prayed for for about 100 years, on the altar. And while God didn't make him go through with that sacrifice, God was testing Abraham to see how much he trusted him. Today we're going to look at a character in the New Testament. And this character is called the tax collector. And this tax collector illustrates for us a different principle. And this is the principle of surrender. Now before we dive into our passage for today, I want to look at the definition of surrender. Surrender is to abandon oneself entirely to, to give up, abandon, relinquish, to give oneself up as into the power of another to submit or to yield. And I want to look at that last one even in the context of our lives as Christ followers, to give oneself up as into the power of another. Now, many of us who are Christ followers that have been baptized know that baptism is not this act where we come to the water with everything all figured out. It's quite the opposite. Baptism is an act of surrender. It's saying, God, I no longer want my ways, I want your ways. I am accepting the grace and the act that you did for me on the cross, and I am taking part in what will be a journey seeking to love you. 
And so it's quite the opposite of having to figure everything out prior to coming to that water. It's an acknowledgement not of what we can do, but of what he already did for us. And that act of surrender is exactly what some of us know as baptism. When we surrender, we give up the authority that we have or that we think we had, and we put that, hands, we put that authority into the hands of him. When we surrender, we acknowledge that things will now be different than they were before and that there's a different measuring stick, a different bar by which our lives want to live by. Not a legalistic bar, but rather a grace-based, filled with love for the God who saved us bar. When we surrender, it's a decision that we make. It's not a hostile takeover. No one's holding a gun to our head. It is a willingness decision that we say, God, I accept all who you are, all that you've done, and I want to live in light of that. So why are we using the word surrender today when we're in a generosity series instead of a word like sacrifice or like tithing? Well, I want to confess to you, this may be a little controversial, but um, I want to confess to you, I have a problem with some teachings on tithing. Now, tithing is a principle that was taught in the Old Testament. And in fact, I'll tell you right now, there's going to be no action items out of this message asking you to tithe. In the Old Testament, there were two kinds of laws. There were ceremonial laws and there were moral laws. Now, ceremonial laws, some of you may be familiar with, like in the book of Leviticus, where uh, there were instructions given to Christ followers, to, um, to people following God, that you had to wash this lamb eight times on Tuesday and then bury it on, on the, the second day after the sun uh, rose, and then you could eat it. Do you know what I'm talking about? There were these strange laws in the Old Testament that were applicable only to that time period. Those are called ceremonial laws. There was a different kind of law in the Old Testament, and those were called moral laws. And moral laws were meant to reveal our heart. Moral laws were a guidepost in a time, by the way, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is what? Jesus. And so in a time before Jesus had died for our sins, there were these guideposts, very helpful guideposts, by the way, but they were not meant to become legalistic. They were not meant to supersede what happened when Jesus died for our sins because what happened at that point? Grace. No more law, grace. And so there are many of these moral laws that carry in as a guidepost into the New Testament, but not as something that supersedes the grace, which means that if someone isn't following a law to a T, it's not even about that. It's about the heart behind that. And if somebody comes to the water of baptism or comes to a point of surrender on any topic, financial or not, God says, I want to have grace. I want you to begin loving me more and living in light of that, not because it's a rule, but because it's an act of love. See, there's all different reasons that we obey laws. Sometimes it's out of respect. Sometimes it's out of fear, out of obligation. Sometimes it's out of love or reverence by those who made the law. Sometimes it's out of a commitment to obedience. But we rarely are obeying laws in the same way of how we live our lives when we are surrendered to a greater cause. A law provides a good guidepost, but it is a fraction of what the Lord is asking of us. But let me start here in this passage in Luke, Luke 18, so that we can illustrate what Jesus is telling us through this character, the tax collector. It may not be what you think. So let's start in verse 9. If you have a Bible or you can follow along on the screen. 
to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Because all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I know you just met me, but I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you for a second. I've only shared this story like this one other time. I'm not married, and I've never been married, and I don't have any children. As much as I would love to have a family of my own, I don't have any children yet. In fact, I've never had sex before. Now, to some of you that... Um, may cause you to think different things about me, and, and uh, in, at 34 years old, I've, I've come against my fair share of ridicule or questioning or all these different things, and, and even doubting myself being engaged twice, um, if I could rationalize this rule that I had in my life away. But see, um, at 13 years old, my youth director gave me a ring that I have worn um, on my right hand for many years. And at 13 years old, I was part of a church community that it was, it was taught to me that this was a law that you obey. And I appreciated that. And that law, that rule of obedience to purity guided my life for a very long time. Until I met my friend Kimberly. And I'll, I'll change her name for the sake of this story. I met Kimberly about five or six years ago in my women's small group. And Kimberly was wrestling with the decision to become baptized. And she really didn't want to make that decision because she wasn't ready yet to follow all the laws of Christianity, one being the law of purity. Kimberly was a sexually active, unmarried adult. And she was very much feeling like she could not go into that water unless she knew that she was cleaning up all areas of her life, including that one. Now, I'm not going to discourage someone who wants to seek to live in light of the Lord's um, guides, but not because of a rule or because of a law, because I'll be the first one to say this. Myself and some others of us, and I'll, I'll, I'll stand with those, have made it very difficult for non-Christians to understand what grace is because we haven't had it. And so that law for me becomes, became such a rule that I didn't understand that the decision that Kimberly could make at 31 years old was the same decision that I could make at 13 regardless of what she had done. And oh, by the way, her decision as she grew closer and closer with God and realized it was not a law that he was wanting her to obey, but it was a falling in love with Jesus, acknowledging what he had done for her and her desire to not live perfectly, but rather much bigger than that, to live in light of this love, that that is the one and only thing that should motivate how she lives. And that her decision at 31 to want to live in a grace-based way, surrendered to, to Christ, not out of a rule, but out of a love, 
was so much more powerful than the decision I had made at 13. And my decision to stay in purity took on a whole new meaning. And I started to see in her life what it meant to truly fall in love with Jesus and not to obey rules of Christianity because they're rules, but to live in light of a God who loves me and, by the way, has grace on us even when we, when we fall. Now, I want to commend all of you in the room, all of us in the room possibly who've been tithing for years and have followed that, that um, guidepost. Many of you double tithing, triple tithing, uh, all of these things that have been followed. But there's a danger in this. See, there are some who have never embraced giving because they've seen it as merely a law. They've seen it as giving to the man, so to speak, and so they're not going to do it. Just like my friend Kimberly said, I'm not going to stop having sex just because I want to be baptized. That seems silly. It's not about that. It's not about the law. Instead, it's about falling more in love with Jesus. And so a law can sometimes hurt us on both sides. It can hurt those that never want to do it just because it's a rule, and it can hurt those of us that check the box of that rule and stop there. See, that's the heart of this whole unfinished journey, is the fact that there are no boxes to check in Christianity. There are no arrival points, but that God ever wants to finish us. I want to look at one verse in that passage again. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fax twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. See, I don't have any children or a spouse yet, and I could get pretty prideful if I wanted to about the amount or the percentage that I give. I could if I wanted to. And there's some of you in this room, though, that have a very different situation than me. You have four kids. You might even have grandkids. You might have parents or other relatives that are in a nursing home, and you have medical expenses for them. You might have a child with special needs that requires a lot of your time and a lot of your resources. So for me to stand up here and say that you should give a certain amount or a certain percentage is not the heart of God because we all have very different situations. The question that God is asking us in surrender is not what are you giving, it's what are you not giving and why? The question that God is asking us as we surrender is not what are you giving because it's very easy to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, I'm doing more than this guy or I'm doing more than that gal. No, God's asking you, what are you not giving and why? And likewise, if you're someone on that other side of the fence that has never started giving because you're in a very legitimate season of life where you feel financially strapped and you maybe weren't even going to show up today because of this series, I want to say to you that God is offering you freedom. God doesn't want a certain percentage or a certain amount from you. He wants your heart and he wants you to surrender. And so I want to invite you to ask yourself that question. Not what are you giving, but what are you not giving and why? I ask myself that question constantly. Sometimes it results in big things and sometimes it results in small things. A couple of years ago, it resulted in, I realized I had been spending $40 a month on doing my nails. Now, some of you do your nails and they look beautiful, by the way, and you use that as a ministry opportunity for other women. 
And so you take other women to the salon and you're fellowshipping with them. And so you should keep doing your nails. It's not bad to do your nails. But for me, it was an act of laziness. It was something I wasn't honoring God with. And it was something that was just about some vanity and pride. And so God was revealing to me that I wasn't honoring him with those funds. See, here's the thing. God only asked two people in scripture to give 100%. The widow with the two coins and the rich young ruler. One of them did give 100% and the rich young ruler didn't. But here's the thing. God is probably not asking you to give him 100% unless he does. But he is very clear that he is asking you to honor him with 100%. And so the question does not become what are you giving? It's what are you not giving and why? What are you not honoring God with? Some of you have a classic car. Some of you, that classic car is something that you go out on the weekends with other men and you go to car shows and you're ministering to other men and it's a great connection point where you can build these godly, godly friendships. And so don't sell your classic car for unfinished. But there are others of you who have a classic car and it's sitting in the garage and it's a source of pride and you're not using it to the glory of God, it might be to the glory of self. See, it's not my job or our job to tell, tell you what to sell or what not to sell. It's not bad to do your nails. It's not bad to have a big home, by the way, if you're using your home for the Lord. But if you would say, no, my home is not strategic for the Lord. No, my, my extra car is not strategic for the Lord. No, this expense that I have is not honoring to God. Then it becomes asking ourselves this question of surrender. What are you not giving and why? God is far more concerned about the heart and our intentions than the details of what we spend on and what we don't. I would imagine that there are two groups of people here today within the sound of my voice. There's one group of people that for you, giving or tithing has always been something that felt legalistic or that felt like something that you didn't feel, part, feel compelled to participate in simply because it felt like a Christian rule. I want to invite you today that I'm not asking you to tithe because it's a rule. I'm not asking you to give because it's a rule. God is asking you. He's inviting you into surrender, a generosity that would be birthed out of a love for him and to, to quit thinking about the amount and the percentage and allow him to work in your life of love. If you put on that unfinished commitment card a number that for you represents a full surrendered heart, that is exactly what God wants. And I'd imagine that there's a second group of us here today, and I constantly fall into this category. We've been giving for, for some time, and we could easily say, well, this, this, this season, this initiative, this series, it's not for me, it's for the people that haven't gotten it yet. But here's what I want to invite you to. See, when we ask ourselves this question, what am I not giving and why, it reveals a lot about our financial picture. See, a, a question that has always wrestled and wrecked me is, is my spending governing my giving or is my giving governing my spending? See, your giving can be a very large line item. It can be something that you feel really great about, but true first fruits giving, true surrendered giving is something that affects every other area of your life. When you're baptized, it should affect every area of your life, how you talk, how you relate to people, how you, how you are ethically at work. It should affect everything. Same with being surrendered to your giving. See, the question doesn't become, 
what am I giving? It becomes what am I not giving and why? When I was 26 years old, a pastor challenged me on another area of my life that I was not giving and why I wasn't giving it. From a very young age, I started working at age 13, and my dad grew up in an era of, of savings that you, you kind of needed to save everything that you had, and I, I understand why he came from that era, um, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so from age 13, and I, I started working at that age, he told me to save 50% of every dollar. Now, as I got older, that became more difficult to do, and it became 30% and 25%, but no doubt, at 26 years old, after working 13 years, I had an inordinate, possibly some would say inappropriate amount of savings. And it, regardless of what that number was, I was only 13, regardless of what that number was, the point was this. When I asked myself what I'm not giving and why, it wasn't that God needed a portion of that savings. It wasn't that. It was that he needed me to start trusting in him for my future and not trying to control my own environment. See, for some of us, it's not our spending that's controlling our giving. It's our saving. And that's revealing in us a bigger non-surrendered issue that we don't trust God for our future. So let me ask us this question. What are you not giving and why? Kimberly showed me her place setting at her table. Today, I showed you mine. Who will you let see yours? Will you let God see yours and change it? There's a wonderful couple here at River Glen that I want you to hear their story. I had the privilege of interviewing them and was very touched by everything that they said, and I, I pray you're blessed by it as well. It's Kyle and Bethany Lemieux, and they really are illustrating for us this concept of surrender. We're Kyle and Bethany. We've been coming to River Glen for about two years now. We moved to Waukesha about four years ago. Um, we were looking around for churches, and my dad goes here, my dad and his wife, and they said, you have to try out River Glen. We love it so much. So we started coming, and there were a lot of things that really clicked with us. Um, we really enjoyed the weekly communion, um, the kids' service, and the sermon series were all really great. Worship was awesome, so we decided this is going to be our new church home. I think one of the pieces of the unfinished when I first heard Ben talk about it was just this idea of, of purpose that, you know, I think both of us as a couple were very mission oriented. So what, what does that look like here at River Glen and how do we take part in that? And so being able to have a roadmap to a purpose of what the future is going to look like at this church, um, I, I know really excited me at first. And I was like, all right, so what's next? What I like about Unfinished and having River Glen already as this strong hub site is that um, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You have deep connections, people you know and feel known by, but then you also are stretched to go and reach others. So you get to be a part of what God is doing intimately here and also what he's about to do somewhere else. One way that we felt stretched, because we already loved the idea of going and having more people know Christ, was for us, the stretch was in the finances. And um, we had kind of an interesting start to our financial uh, story because we got married young, we were still college students, and so we had this mentality that we really have nothing to give, we have empty pockets, what do we give? And then as our careers developed and as things changed, um, we were giving. But um, things would come up where we were still just not giving 
a lot or enough to really push ourselves. And so with Unfinished, we were really um, specifically challenged to look at our finances, see if we are um, being faithful or if we are holding back. And so um, we wanted to do what we could here to be a part of God's mission. And so we decided that we needed to double our giving and give more. And um, one way that we were specifically challenged was that, with that was um, we set it on um, e-giving. We got it all set. And the day that it was to come out of our account, we got a huge medical bill in the mail that we were not expecting. But that, was, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a big surprise. But um, I kind of loved it because... Before the way that we were doing our finances, we were never really stretched. You know, the bills would always be taken care of somehow. And that, you know, the Lord provides, he loves, he cares. But in this way, we were stretched to the point where we're like, okay, God, like, we're not quite sure where the money is going to come for this bill. And we just started giving more. For the first time, we weren't exactly sure how we were going to cover it. And God was going to have to do something cool for us to be able to pay this bill. So in this instance, he did provide in a neat way a couple weeks later. Um, he, Kyle found out at work that he was going to get a raise and it was going to cover part of his part of this big medical bill we weren't expecting, and we weren't expecting the raise at all. A lot of things that weren't on the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. I love having this idea of of forecasting and again purpose in, in our lives, and so I see that as my way of being responsible and giving is definitely a part of that. But I was stretched in that. Well, the formula doesn't quite say that. Or, you know, I, I want to give big when I'm able to give big instead of being able to honor the here and now and be able to stretch and challenge ourselves at this moment. I think what I would encourage somebody with is the fact that um, there are a lot of good things to give your money to, and it's not wrong or sinful to, you know, save for your kid's college or, you know, put the new roof on the house. It ha you know, these things have to be done, and I know they come up. They have for us. And even though they're good, I, I just want to give first to what's best. And I needed to be faithful with what I think is best. And if I think God's mission is best, then I need to give first to that and then see what's left over for the things we want to do or um, the things for the future. There will always be something that you could justify to hold you back. We still have an incredible amount of student debt. We still have things that we want to do that are really fun with our kids. We want to find more time together, right? There's just all these little things that, that pull and push on you. But um, being able to say, you know, God, you're first instead of you're the next line item, I think is a very different mindset. And again, the opportunity to, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to be faithful. It's going to stretch. It might even hurt a little bit, but I'm going to honor you through this. And, you know, I think my heart always wanted to do that but it was time to put my money where my mouth was and to be able to, to be faithful in that way. I'm Kyle. And I'm Bethany. And, and we're, we're unfinished. unfinished. So what is your unfinished story? As the band comes out to lead us in communion, I want to pray for these two groups of people. I want to pray for this first group that maybe you've never taken this step of giving before. Because like my friend Kimberly, you saw Christianity as a set of rules. And possibly a rule that at this point you couldn't attain in the way that others were asking you to. And I want to invite you to be free from that. I want to invite you, God wants to invite you into surrender as you acknowledge and fall more in love with who he is. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he already did for us. And I want to pray for this second group of people, and myself is in this group.
I want to pray that we would be free of complacency. I want to pray that we would not be comfortable with where we currently are, no matter how faithful we've been, that we declare we too are unfinished, that God has more for us if we would seek his face and seek to love him more. And I also want to pray for a third group of people. When I've talked about surrender and I've talked about the subject of baptism, there's some of you that haven't taken that step yet. There's some of you that haven't yet come to that water, possibly because of some of the reasons I mentioned. And you can know today that Christ is your Savior. You can know today that you are accepting that you have been cleansed of all of your sin. You can know today that you can walk in grace and not in rules, not in legalism. And so I want to invite you. We've got an opportunity for baptism today. There's shirts out at the unfinished hub. And during this communion song, if that is you that the Lord is speaking to, I want to invite you. We have shorts and towels and shirts. And today you can know. Today can be your day to know that you are surrendered to Christ in your life completely. And that his grace covers over you forever. And so as I pray, and as we take communion in a minute, I want us to remember the bread that we take represents Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. And the juice that we drink represents his blood that was spilled so that we might be cleansed of all sin. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus sending him in a way that we didn't deserve, God, and that he didn't deserve to die, Lord, but that you made it such a beautiful act of surrender that our response of love is to do nothing but submit to that, God. And so we just invite right now your spirit to speak to each one of these groups of people in the way that only you can. And God, I pray for those that need to be freed or need to be healed from some prior conceived notion about giving God. I want to pray for just an abundance of love that would pour out from them to you and from you to them. And God, may they be invited onto this journey of generosity, growing closer to you. And God, I want to pray for this second group, myself included, that we would never be comfortable, never be prideful like that Pharisee, never feel like we've checked all the boxes, God, but that we would truly ask ourselves, God, what is our unfinished story? What am I not giving and why am I not giving it? And God, that you would reveal places in our lives that we are not yet surrendered to you, that we are not yet honoring you. And God, I want to pray for this third group of people that today, as soon as I finish this prayer, are going to go back and get a shirt and get shorts and get a towel and finally know that they are, they are committed to you. They are living in grace. They have accepted what your son did for them. And God, there may be others that need to make that commitment again, that sense a new need to want to recommit their lives to that God, and I invite them as well. God, we thank you that you are a God of love, you are a God of grace, and we thank you that your son is all we need. God, as we take his body and his blood, we thank you for the sacrifice he made. It's in your name we pray, amen.